You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Bernadette Manser, Senior Vice President of Communications for the National Hockey League, goes on the record online. The NHL fans, one, are the youngest in all major sports. They are the most educated in all major sports. Seventy percent of them attend college. Uh, they are the most affluent uh, in, um, in, in sports. Uh, and they get more of their information um, off technical appliances uh, than any other. And thank you for joining us for another episode of On the Record Online. If you are a regular listener of the show coming back, thank you. If you are tuning in for the first time, this is the podcast that tries to bring you the story behind the story. And we do in-depth interviews with journalists from the mainstream media, as well as, from time to time, discussions with influential bloggers, podcasters, and newsmakers about how technology is changing and threatening to disrupt the mainstream media business as we know it. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman, and I'm the founder and president of iPressroom Corporation. We help organizations integrate the web into their marketing communications and PR initiatives through RSS feeds and podcasts and a variety of other uh, tools and services. I am also personally and professionally fascinated at how technology is changing the way organizations communicate and the way people consume media and information. Today we have a one-on-one interview with Bernadette Mansour. She is the Senior Vice President of Public Relations for the National Hockey League. Uh, The interview runs around 18 minutes. We talk about the strike. We talk about the NHL fan base, which is a very wired community, according to her. And we also talk about um, how uh, the Internet could ultimately change the way uh, the National Hockey League distributes and delivers games to, to its viewers. If this is your first time listening or if you are streaming this episode and you would like to subscribe, uh, you can do that at www.ontherecordpodcast.com. When you get to that page, you'll see a series of badges, uh, and you can actually click on those badges and subscribe to this podcast through iTunes, through Yahoo Podcasts, uh, or you can pick up the raw RSS feed and plug it into your podcatcher. Um, if all that sounds a little confusing, there's a tutorial that will explain to you how to do it on that page as well. It doesn't cost anything to subscribe. It's free. And now we're going to play for you the interview with Bernadette Mansour after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from my press room. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom, tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on, even when you're off. I am here with Bernadette Mansour, uh, the National Hockey League's Senior Vice President of Communications uh, and the Executive Director of the Uh, NHL Foundation. Uh, She has been uh, with the NHL for 13 years. Uh, Prior to that, she was the VP of Communications for Reebok, and I'm delighted to get this opportunity to talk to her. 
Well, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. And we are at the Media Relations Conference uh, 2006 in New York. And I'm interested to know how, what it's like uh, getting back from in the first year after the strike. Well, we actually have been very fortunate coming back in the first year of the strike, and we owe that all to the fans. Um, our fans, and I like to think I'm not biased, but um, I will say that they are the most avid, the most loyal, um, and they're uh, in the most courageous in, in, in sports. Uh, during the lockout, we polled our fan base constantly. Uh, it was important to make sure we were communicating with them right, and we were also confirming that we were doing, that they were with us when we needed to do what we had to do. We didn't want to go out, but we knew we had no choice. Uh, the fans throughout were incredibly loyal. They were very, very supportive of us. They understand that the economics of our situation were broken and we needed to fix them. And they said, huge majority that we stand by you will be back if you do fix it. If you just put a Band-Aid on it and you go out in two years, we're not going to go for that. We, you need to fix it. So they gave us the mandate that we needed, and we went out and fixed it. Fans came back. We're 4% um, up in average attendance over the 2003-2004 season, and we're going to set another record attendance uh, for us. Um, revenues and merchandise are up. Uh, fans are, are very happy. The game looks great, um, and we can talk about that. But uh, our, our fans have been tremendously supportive. Tell us a little bit about what it was like as the head of communications for the league during the strike. What were some of the challenges that you faced, and what was the greatest lesson that you took away from the experience? Right. Well, I had been with the league um, for our uh, first lockout in the 94-95 season, which was only, um, I think it was about 131 games. Uh, and going through this, the, the biggest thing, the most immediate thing that you sense is that when I went back on my records, then they were all in hard copy. This time with the internet, uh, with internet polling, with fan blogs, everything was was so easy to get out instantly. You were able to communicate your message to individual audiences, um, how they wanted it, when they wanted it. We, 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 we blasted out messages to our fans on their mobile phones. Um, we set up a, a website that was a public website for anybody to go to, nhlcbanews.com, where we had uh, the commissioner's transcripts, um, Arthur Levitt's press conference, every, every business uh, positioning paper that we had, also um, fan mail, um, Q&As with the commissioner and, and deputy commissioner Bill Daly. So our ability to communicate was instant. Uh, and uh, that helped enormously in being able to be nimble uh, through this process because anybody who goes through a collective bargaining agreement, it is a living, breathing thing, and it changes all the time. Uh, the media attention is, is so intense uh, that stories are created that many times have no basis in fact. Um, there are always people who have sources that know and they aren't true, so you need to be very, very fast. Um, I, I think the overall message that got us through the CBA uh, and with the support of our fans and eventually with the support of our players were that we knew from the beginning that we had no choice 
the economic system was, was broken. We had to get that out, which we did. It wasn't easy telling everybody that your, your business was losing millions of dollars, but we did. Um, once we established that fact, uh, we, the next thing we needed to do was um, to be transparent just to t put up on the website everything that was going on, everything that we were talking about, um, everything that was legally possible to let our fans um, and our constituents and even our players, if they choose to, to know what our position was. And you have to be, as I said, nimble. You have to be courageous and you have to be fast because <laughs> it changes. Through, from a practical standpoint, mm -hmm. the tactics, I mean, are you directly responsible for the content on that website? And if so, uh, how do you make sure that the messages you're shaping wind up on that website? Well, no, I, PR would not be responsible. Um, we're responsible for writing the content, for editing the content, uh, for um, and, and getting it up on the website, as you say. The CBA is, is, is a legal exercise, and I'm sure everybody in the public relations... For those who don't know, that stands collective for... Collective bargaining agreement, I'm sorry. Um, it is a very technical legal exercise. In many ways, and for people who are in the industry, sometimes the public relations department and the legal department don't always work together because uh, they really have two different purposes. Uh, this exercise for us in the NHL was a perfect partnership of public relations and legal. So legal would set the standards of what the content was. They, they would, in terms of what was going on in internal negotiations, come back and on a legal basis say, this is what went on, this is true, this is fact, and this is what you could say. We would then take that and transpose that into fan speak, consumer speak, uh, and then post it on the website. So it really was a very, very integrated uh, communication strategy, um, t strategy, tactic, and demonstration. Um, and it, it worked very well in our ability, as I just referenced, to be fast and to be totally transparent. The, the, the legal department, as well as POR, wanted to make sure that the fans and anybody interested knew exactly where we were at any given point in time. So you mentioned uh, a little bit about the fan blogs. Right. Um, tell me, how do, you, how do you monitor all the fan blogs that are out there? Well, let me first tell you a bit about the NHL fan. I don't think that um, a lot of people know that NHL fans, one, are the youngest in all major sports. They are the most educated in all major sports. Seventy percent of them attend college. Uh, they are the most affluent uh, in, um, in, in sports. Uh, and they get more of their information um, off technical appliances uh, than any other um, fans in sports, which is very good that they're affluent because they can afford everything that they have. Um, so when the, um, the lockout began, the amount of blogs and fan blogs that came up were, were enormous. Uh, some obviously were um, uh, more popular than others. But in order for us to keep pace with where the fans were going, in order for us to understand what they wanted out of the negotiations, what they wanted to get as the end game, uh, we had to keep in touch with the blogs, and we did. Uh, we, um, we, I went on blogs and spoke about certain things when asked. Uh, we highlighted on our own website certain blog spots that um, were um, 
you know, we're, we're giving out what we thought was a, a very realistic message. Um, so we really did embrace them, and we still do. Were there any challenges with respect to uh, the legal involvement and the collective bargaining agreement with what you could and couldn't link to because it may be seen as endorsing that position? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's why the legal department always would um, have to, uh, you know, take the lead on, you know, what was posted and what wasn't. There wasn't one piece of, uh, one document that was posted on our website that was not vetted by the legal department. What about a link? I mean, if you're linking to an external website, is that seen as a, as a, a endorsement for that position? If you would put it up on your own website to allow a link with all the other blogs that were out, yeah, that would be perceived as an endorsement. I don't so, know if that's a legal position. That's just a, you know, it would seem to me a logical position for any of the cons uh, consumer to, to have. So now um, there have been um, some attacks, specifically uh, from Martha Burke, uh, on who's the chair of the National Council of Women's Organizations. And uh, her complaint was that uh, a, a recent ad uh, launched in September 05 was, was deeply offensive. Walk us through that controversy. What was her beef? Um, the ad that, it was a series of ads that we did um, to relaunch the season, and we spent a lot of time uh, researching the concepts with our fans and, um, and, and the messages, and we put a lot of money into the production of it, and we had what was a mini-movie told in five episodes. The first being that there was a woman who was the spiritual uh, and a physical trainer for the quote-unquote warrior who was the, um, the hockey player. And she, um, in somewhat of a samurai way, was preparing him for battle, quote-unquote, which was the game. And it would be like if you were in a locker room and your trainer was putting on your gear for you. I mean, the man was, you know, not naked or anything, but he was putting on his jersey and on and on. Martha Stewart, Martha Burke, excuse me, um, thought that that was disrespectful of women. Uh, and uh, I, um, I said that I don't know the last time that, Martha had been in a gym, but this woman had on what a trainer does in a gym. It was not disrespectful for women. As a matter of fact, the choice deliberately was to put a woman to show um, the strength of women and, um, in our games. Um, what happened is that uh, Martha's attention caused the ad to show up every place because Martha had criticized it. So in many ways, as a PR person, it was the best thing that ever happened to us. And did those complaints affect the way the ad was received and the overall success or, or no. failure of this, I think it was called More Entertainment, More Passion, More Hockey campaign? Right. Absolutely not. Uh, our fans, and, and we attested this prior to launching the campaign, and as I said, as, as we were developing the campaign, we tested it. They loved the campaign. Are we, there a lot of women fans? Yes. Break down the audience for me, if yeah. you would, uh, by gender. Uh, I can do that in arena. Uh, it goes about 38% women, which is the uh, second highest uh, only to Major League Baseball. So baseball's the highest. Baseball's the highest. Uh, they're about 40, 42, and then we're next with about 38. Where's tennis? I just wonder because I'm a tennis fan. I don't know that. Right. I don't know. So let's talk a little bit about the foundation 
which mm-hmm. you're executive director of. Um, what is uh, the role of the foundation in your overall communication strategy for, for the league? Well, the, the NHL Foundation really serves as a, a almost like a steering committee for the, all 30 member clubs. Um, we have in the NHL and hockey tradition um, a very, very deep-seated roots in the community. I think it comes from, you know, the smaller towns in Canada gravitating around the hockey team. Uh, and so each of our member clubs in their community have, have great, great ties and strengths and um, have their own um, uh, plans and ideas of how they need to develop. So what we do is, is we, several years ago, um, started the Hockey Fights Cancer um, efforts, which is our own charity in which we raise money for cancer research. Unfortunately, as in any big family, we were finding a lot of our members were being struck by this disease, um, Sacacoivo being one in, in Montreal. And um, we, uh, we then use this as the umbrella charity, and under that, uh, er- any one of our clubs can raise money for cancer research, be it breast cancer, be it colon cancer, whatever suits them at that time. And also, we work with Cure Search, which is um, the Children's Hospital uh, Research uh, uh, organization down, based down in Washington, and they're the largest uh, cancer research organization for children with hospitals all throughout North America. And we then adopt hospitals. Each of the clubs adopts a hospital, and we have very close ties to hospitals. So basically, we're, we're very much into children. We're into literacy. We're into um, you know, cancer research, um, as well as what individual clubs choose to, um, to do in their own markets, which makes sense to them. And what advice or words of wisdom do you have for marketing and communications executives on the brand side that would like to partner with the league for promotional activities? Well, I, I would say words of advice or what I'd like to, to, to say is that, um, as, as I've been saying for a while here, the NHL fan is truly extraordinary. They're avid, they're loyal, uh, and uh, they are a young, affluent demographic, which is highly tech. So, so they have a lot of attributes that uh, any all our partners want and that partners that we're talking to uh, right now. And during the lockout, we communicated very closely with all our sponsors and our business partners. We didn't lose any during the lockout because uh, they do. They value our demographic. Uh, we are very, very strong, um, and we are also very eager to work in in participatory programming. Um, it's not only just give us the money and here's our logos. We want to do programming with our sponsors, um, and we've done some pretty unique things. And then on the other side of the coin, what advice do you have for young public relations practitioners getting out of school who would love very much to have a career in, in sports communications? It, there, there are so many young people who, who do want a career in sports communications. Um, and I, you know, I see them all the time and we, we get a lot of applications. Most sports do not have entry-level positions, per se. What they have is internships. Uh, and, you know, if, if an individual can afford to do that, you know, it's a paid internship, uh, but not a lot of money. Um, that is a way to get in, uh, to in, to see how a league runs, 
Um, a, a league is very different from a club. It's very different from just getting close to the game. You know, a lot of people have very romantic ideas, and I'm not saying it's not um, a great place to work, but um, an internship is a good way to just to start out. Uh, but uh, uh, it it's very, very much of a corporation, a sports league these days. Uh, and you've got to, you know, run it like a business. You know, brand marketing is essential, as is public relations, as well as sales. Uh, so um, it, it's got a, a very business. It is not focused on the game on a day-to-day basis. I remember I was talking to uh, one of the PR executives with the Dodgers, and he said to me, uh, the greatest thing about my job is if my boss comes into my office and finds me reading the sports page, I'm doing my job. Right. Uh, but just as a final question, given uh, all the developments in new technology, the fact that um, you were able to reach your constituents, your, your fans, directly through the web, and given the fact that you guys really are the organizing committee for uh, the game of hockey, do you foresee the day when ultimately the NHL may be delivering games directly uh, to uh, viewers and, and fans over the Internet? I, I think there, that day will come. Uh, the, the the landscape in broadcasting and, and broadcast technology changes so rapidly. Uh, obviously, uh, you have rights holders who have paid you vast sums of money to to um, air your games, and they must be protected. But um, I think actually one of the leagues has already started offering games, uh, and. You need to be as as nimble and as quick as as you possibly can because people are demanding um, sports information, um, you know, quickly, instantaneously, and as I said, where they want it. So I'm sure that day will come. Bernadette, thanks a lot for taking the time to do this. You're welcome. Thank you. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.